John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will, will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Morning, everyone. Thank you, Emma, for reading the beautiful scripture to us in John chapter 14. Um, it's great to be with you this morning again. Um, it's felt like a couple of weeks since I've been preaching out of John, so it's great to get stuck back into it. We hope you're all doing well. I know um, the complexities uh, for uh, our lives are becoming um, more and more real in different ways for different people as some restrictions lift. And so please do know that we're continuing to pray about you and think about you and miss you and uh, are, are looking forward to hopefully more and more interaction in the days ahead. Um, we're going to jump into John chapter 14. This is a brilliant chapter. Um, I know we read the whole thing, and uh, I'm not going to cover it verse by verse, but I'm going to refer to quite a bit of it, which is why I got Emma to read the whole thing. Um, but the start and the end are quite interesting because it starts with the sense that Jesus is building a home for us, and a home speaks of comfort and rest and settledness and feeling rooted in the world. And yet at the end of the chapter, Jesus says these words, come, let us leave. It almost seems like a bit of a contradiction, doesn't it? This uh, book-ended chapter with talk of going to a home and then leaving. And yet, <clears throat> I suppose the reality is when we think of that kind of tension, it's the essence of what following Jesus is all about. In, in one sense, we can feel and should feel whole and completed and at one with the Lord, a sense of feeling at home more than uh, anywhere else in the world, and yet physically we're kind of always on a move. We're always entering into places of unknown, leaving comfort behind us to follow Jesus to the places that he wants us to live in. We can feel at home without ever feeling fully settled in the world in which we live. But this is the essence of faith, and this is to coin a phrase or a book title. This is the pilgrim's progress through the world in which we live. And the tensions of life, of faith in Jesus, are the tensions that we as followers of Jesus are feeling right now in this crazy, mad world that we're living in. And there are also tensions that continue throughout this chapter that we're going to be looking at this morning. There's an intensity of emotion that's beginning to build. We're in John 14. If you were to read John 12, it would tell you at the very start of that chapter that it was six days before the Passover. And so that means the Passover was when Jesus was crucified. And so it tells us that these chapters after John chapter 12 are some of the last words of Jesus. The theologians call it the farewell discourses. They're uh, conversations that Jesus is having with his disciples before he basically goes to the cross. And um, he's starting to prepare his disciples for leaving. And so I really want you to allow your emotion and your heart to engage with Jesus's heart and emotion through these words. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that time in your life where you've been building up to leave somebody. Um, I suppose in its most extreme and sad cases, this is when people leave us forever. And obviously there's a whole other level of grief uh, that comes with that. 
Um, but maybe you've even just experienced that um, when you've left your family. I remember when I was 19 and I felt God wanted me after school to go and find him for myself. And so I was about to leave home. I was going to go and live in South Africa. Here's me, a young guy from the Lock Shore, not really knowing um, how to travel through an airport, never mind kind of live in a different country um, where I was going to be the only white person in the particular compound I was living in and all of the culture shock that would come with that. But I knew I was supposed to do it. And, um, but it was one of those things because it was so close with my family and such a great relationship with my mom and dad and my sisters and all of that and felt quite close and, 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 and loving. The thought of leaving had this kind of gnawing, sick feeling in my tummy that, it, uh, that made us really not talk about it until the morning that I was leaving. And it was a bit of a... It was a bit of a meltdown. But anyway, I, I, I got there and I went there, but I remember that feeling deep inside that when I was going to leave, that was just rising up inside me. And I just wonder, while Jesus obviously carried a sense of calm because he's God, as a human being, fully human, spending time with these disciples for three years, growing to love them as his friends. I'm sure there was a degree of emotion going on inside him as he was preparing to leave them and all it would mean in the coming days. And so he's gently and tenderly trying to prepare his friends, the ones that he has spent the last three years with. He's preparing them for the moment where physically he's not going to be with them anymore. And I just want you to think about that for a moment this morning. And in this discourse, Jesus is saying three things to them that he wants them to understand. And here's the three things we're going to look at this morning. First of all, he's going somewhere. Jesus is going somewhere without us. They don't fully understand this yet, but Jesus wants them in time to be able to look back and think that he, he was preparing us for these moments that are about to come. The second thing is that he's coming back. Jesus wants them to know and to be assured that he will come back and get them. And the third thing is, in some kind of mysterious way, he's still going to be with them, even though he's going to leave. And he's couching these three things around. He's framing, he's framing these three things that he wants them to understand that's about to happen in the language of peace. And Chris has alluded to this already. It's going to be turbulent. It's going to be messy. It's going to be disturbing. The disciples are about to go through a traumatic event that's going to turn their worlds upside down. And in the midst of that, Jesus is saying a number of times through this passage, do not fear, do not be troubled. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus carries this overwhelming sense of peace and calm and victory over the forces of the world, over darkness and everything that he is about to endure. Jesus is carrying a sense of peace and wholeness. It's all going to be okay. It reminds me, of the words of that old Saint Julian of Norwich, all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. But let's look a little bit deeper at these three things, because I feel there's some things God wants to say to us this morning. First of all, Jesus is telling them that he's going somewhere. And so the question comes next, well, where's he going? Well, we, we all quite quickly and automatically will say, well, he's going to heaven, which of course is true, is that's where he's going, but I think there's more to it than that. Now, let's look a little bit closer at the text. Jesus says, you know the place to where I am going. But Thomas actually says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Interestingly, Thomas 
wasn't smart enough to understand where Jesus was going, or else maybe it was because he wasn't actually sure that Jesus was God or the Son of God, and therefore he wants to be sure even after these years of following Jesus. Whatever's going on in Thomas, the way Jesus answers the question is interesting. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. And so Jesus, while he's going to heaven, is actually reframing the answer to say he's going to the Father. He's going to the heart of the Father. He's saying to the disciples, this is where I'm going, and this is the place I want to take you, right into the heart of the Father. And part of the reason why I want us to understand this is I think sometimes our views of heaven are a little bit skewed. And we just think of this celestial city up in the sky, above the clouds somewhere, you know, streets paved with gold, you know, us kind of singing with harps, a few chubby cherubs running about, uh, trying to get our heads around this place, and we miss what the essence of heaven is all about. And so we think of this kind of shiny, fluffy place up there somewhere, and yet, I don't think heaven's going to be like that to start with. It's going to be a place of stunning, stunning beauty, a new heaven and a new earth. But secondly, I think we miss the point of the essence of where Jesus wants to take us, the intimate wholeness that he wants to bring us into. Jesus is not the guy who's standing at the gates in heaven like the security guard just checking that we've got our ticket to get into this place, like we get into Disney or somewhere like that. No, Jesus is taking us into the heart of the Father of the universe. Jesus has taken us into the loving relationship that he has enjoyed from eternity past with the Father. This is where I'm going, Jesus says, and I want you to come with me. This is where I want to take you. Now, the reality is, in one way, Jesus had never really left that place, we could say. In the Gospels we read, particularly in John, about how Jesus always walked in intimacy with the Father, in perfect communion with the Father. He never did anything without the Father's kind of permission or the leading of the Father. He was always walking in perfect communion. In fact, it's so intimate, his relationship with the Father on the earth, that Jesus could say that he is actually revealing the Father to the world and to his disciples. He the, gospel, sorry, the writers of the epistles will later say, he is the express image of God. He is the one, the son in whom the fullness of the whole Godhead rests on. The heart of the gospel message is Jesus and the Father are one, which is what Jesus even has to emphasize to the disciples at this particular point of their apprenticeship. After three years, Jesus is basically still saying, guys, you've been with me so long and still you don't really get it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Just for a moment, let's just pause for a moment and think, isn't that just the best news? Isn't it just the best news that when you've seen Jesus, you know what God looks like? I don't know about you, but if you've been brought up in the church or maybe you've been surrounded by Christianity, sometimes the way God is portrayed isn't really Jesus-like. And so for me, every time I read that verse, part of me can give a sigh of relief because the God who holds the universe in the palm of the hand, in the palm of his hands, he looks like Jesus. And it's not always been known. Throughout the old time, they didn't always fully know that God was like Jesus. But now we know. Now we know what God looks like. God looks like Jesus. Jesus has put a human face on what God looks like. And yet, while Jesus reveals the Father, 
And while Jesus walked on earth in perfect intimacy with the Father, the scriptures are also clear that Jesus veiled his glory in coming to earth. And he didn't use the place that he had alongside the Father in heaven to his own advantage, but rather he stepped out of that place, not out of intimacy with the Father, but out of that place of privilege in heaven alongside the Father in order to come to earth, to bring him to himself. And the reason he did that was to bring us to a place of ultimate love and ultimate meaning. Now, John chapter 1 um, is the prologue, basically, to the whole book, the first 18 verses. And I've referred to this once or twice, but basically, in those first 18 verses, we see that Jesus is the word, the logos, the Greek word, the point, the reason behind existence, the idea, the plan, the wisdom behind all things has been with the Father from the beginning. So ultimate meaning is found in Jesus. That word logos which was the word that the philosophers used to try and describe the reason behind things that exist. And John is telling us that Jesus is the reason and the wisdom behind it all. And he's also telling us that Jesus is where the Father is, in the, in the bosom or in the womb of the Father. So not just ultimate love, but ultimate Sorry, not just ultimate meaning, but ultimate love. Jesus has come from that place. And as the book of John unfolds, Jesus is constantly inviting people into enjoying that place that he enjoys with the Father. This is stunningly good news. Jesus isn't just saving us from our sins. As amazing as that is, he's bringing us right in to the depth of relationship that he enjoys with the Father, a place of ultimate and abundant meaning and a place of ultimate and abundant love. That's why anything we can ever do for God or anything we can ever live through that is God's, it should always, the end is always intimacy with the Father. The end is always that place of wholeness with Jesus in the bosom of the Father. And so a sense we could say that this first point where Jesus is going and Jesus wants him to know, he's speaking of a place that he has known with the Father for ages past. He's been with the Father from the very beginning of time, outside of time itself, actually. Jesus has been with the Father, and he's always enjoyed that place of communion with him, and he's going to that place again. But secondly, Jesus is also communicating to us that he's, coming to prepare, he's going to prepare a place for us because he's coming back again. He might be going back to the place that he enjoyed with the Father, but he's reminding us that he's coming again in the future. He's been there in the past, and he will bring us there in the future. Jesus is alluding to the fact that he's going ahead of us. Jesus is the ultimate good father who will do for his children what they can't do for themselves. He will make a way for them. He will pay a price that those children can't pay for themselves in order to bring them in to the things that have been destined for them from the beginning. When Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for us, I think it's a bit of a word picture, a metaphor Jesus is playing with to help us understand that he's getting the place ready. It's going to be great that we're coming to him. But I think he's maybe also alluding to the fact that while his time on earth, the time he's still got left, he's, he's preparing a place for us with what's about to happen in the next couple of days that will unfold. That through his death, and through his ascension to heaven, he is preparing a way for us to come into this intimacy with the Father that we're talking about. The reason Jesus said he was going and that we could not come in other 
references in John is because only he could prepare the way, because he was the spotless, sinless, perfect human life that ever lived on the earth, that only he could deal with the sin and brokenness and pain and grief and disorder and dysfunction of the world. Only he could do that. He had to do it alone. He went before us. He went to prepare a way for us to come into relationship with the Father. Only Jesus could do this. Verse 3, he says, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. It's so beautiful. Jesus is our forerunner. He is the first human being to pass through the veil of earth into the heaven and the throne of God before the Father. He is going there so he can bring us there. And he's coming back for us. Whatever the Father's house looks like, it looks like the beauty of union that Jesus and the Father share. The bridegroom is coming back. There's going to be a great wedding feast. There's going to be a great wedding banquet. It's going to be fun. Jesus is coming back for his bride. But what about the present? If Jesus is going to the place where he's always enjoyed in eternity past with the Father, and he's coming back to us again in the future, what about the present? Well, Jesus is saying, in some kind of way, he's still going to be with us. Now, let me try and explain. While Jesus is promising, if we love him, to bring us to this place in the future, he's also saying you can actually start living into that reality now, in the present, on the earth. Because I'm going to send my spirit, my own personal presence is going to be instilled into your hearts and spirits. And if he lives in you, he is going to bring to you the love that the Father and the Son enjoy. It's already going to become a reality in the present. It's like a deposit has already been placed inside you and the future has rushed into the present and you can start knowing and living in the reality of that now. Verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come, plural, we will come and make our home with them. This glorious reality that we will know in the future has actually become a present reality that we can live into now. And so he wants his disciples to know that while he's not here, he kind of is here. Not kind of, he is through the Spirit. And the Spirit is bringing them into the love of the Father of the Son. That's why Jesus can look at the disciples with calmness and with honesty and with confidence and with truth and say, guys, it's going to be okay. I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you. I won't desert you. I'm not going to abandon you, even though it might feel like that. I'm not leaving you. I will come to you and make my home in you through the Spirit. We can still be fathered through this world until we meet the Father with Jesus in the future. Paul will obviously develop this theme in his letters and talk about how the Spirit is, allows us to say, Abba, Abba, Father, even now, our hearts and our spirits are stirred to say and to long to say, Abba, Father. 
Now, the phrase that John uses for the Spirit in his gospel is a slightly distinct form of um, the word for Spirit. It's the word in Greek, paraclete. The word paraclete for the Spirit is, is distinct from the word spiritus, which is a Latin kind of word that's used to talk about in the Hebrew, ruach, or in the Greek, pneuma, which is all the word to do with wind or breath or spirit. It's all the same word. And that speaks to us of movement and the creative energy of God upon our lives. And that's an important theme that we talk about a lot in Emmanuel. But here there's a slightly distinct form of the word spirit that John uses, and it reveals another aspect of how God makes his home in us. And this word paraclete comes originally from the idea of the one who answers the call. And the word paraclete has come to mean comforter or helper or advocate. Jesus is assuring us here that the paraclete, the helper, will come when he is not here to help us. And this paraclete is the spirit of truth. He is he's reminding the disciples what Jesus has taught. That's what Jesus promises he will do. And this kind of happens quite practically because sometimes we forget that the disciples didn't have a bite other than the Old Testament. That was all they had. And so after Jesus went back to heaven and the apostles kind of became the founders of the church and started to disciple the people, they had to remember the words of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the stories of Jesus. And the Spirit who had come upon them at Pentecost led them to lead the people by reminding them and giving them insight and revelation into the words of Jesus. And then he led and inspired them to write them down in the Bible. So that even today, that same spirit is at work within us through the words of Jesus that we have in the Bible to help shape us into the people that he's calling us to be. And so still today, the spirit does that. He lives on in us. During that time I was in South Africa, separated from my family physically, it was the letters that my dad wrote to me or my friends wrote to me and my sisters wrote to me that just helped me to remember who I was, who I belonged to. It was more than just reading some words. It was the spirit and person behind them that I kind of was able to feel in my heart and that helped sustain me through those lonely times. Now, that's just a poor example in some ways because uh, to tell you that this, because God's own personal presence, his spirit lives within us continues on in us and brings us into the ways of Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To the way to the Father. He showed us the heart and the way to live. And so now he's saying the Spirit is going to come and help you live that way. To walk in the way of Jesus in order to fulfill your destiny as my sons and daughters. He's showing us that Jesus is the way, not just to get into heaven, he is that, but the way to live now, the way to live into our original design. Jesus is the firstborn of humanity. He's showing us the prototype human being, what it is not just to be a Christian, but what it is to actually be human in the purest sense of the word. And he wants us to follow him into that. And he's saying to his disciples, I have finished my assignment. I'm going back to the Father. And it's kind of over to you. And so he says, very truly I tell you, verse 12, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater 
things than these because I am going to the Father. You be the people of the Spirit, Jesus said. You do the works of God. He's empowering humanity through the Spirit to be what they were originally called to be. But it's the way of the Spirit. It's not the way of the world. And the disciples are still trying to get their heads around this because Judas goes, well, Jesus, why don't you just show yourself to the whole world? Why are you just telling us this? Why don't, it's like Judas is saying, Jesus, just do like the superhero thing. You know, put on your cape and just show the whole world that this is who you are. And Jesus is like, no, that's not really the way I want to do it. That's not really who I am. I'm not here to build a platform ministry. I'm about relationship and partnership. Through the Spirit, I want to walk with you, my image bearers, and I want to put my presence inside you so that through the work of the Spirit in those who bear the image of God, the earth will be filled with the presence of God. That's why I'm going back to heaven, Jesus said, so that as I ascend, because I've come lower than anybody has ever come, I'm now going to go higher than anyone has ever gone in order to fill it all with my presence through my church, through you. Jesus' physical absence is going to establish his presence in a new way by the Spirit throughout the earth. Right? Let me say that again. Jesus' physical absence is going to establish his presence in a new way by the Spirit through the earth. And as I finish today, this is such a strong challenge to us as we apply it to our world, which is a melting. You know, guys, creation is groaning maybe more than it ever has, louder than it ever has within our lifetime. And the thing about it is we read John 14 a lot at funerals, don't we? And we can understand that because it reminds us that Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. But the reality is Jesus is speaking to guys who have still got a bit of living to do. They have to live on this earth. And Jesus was trying to empower them to be his presence on the earth today. Jesus is saying, I'm I'm going back to that place that represents where I've been for all of these years in the past. Jesus is telling them that I'm coming back for you in the future. But he's saying "In, in the present, the same spirit that was on me is now on you. You will be sad for a while. It's going to feel like your world has been turned upside down. It's going to feel traumatic. But do not fear, my little children. Do not fear. Do not be troubled. My peace, I leave with you. I give you my peace. We can be that non-anxious presence in the world today. We can show up like trees planted by living waters that when everything else blows like chaff, which the wind will blow away, that we will stay rooted in the presence of God, that we will stay rooted in the Spirit, that we will keep step with the Spirit. We need the Spirit. We need the Spirit of truth. Facebook is not the truth. A lot of the media is not the truth. Jesus is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is a person, and it's Jesus. And so here's my advice to you and us in these trying and difficult and turbulent days. If you think someone is not showing the Jesus truth, your obligation is not so much to kind of like whack them with your version of the Jesus truth. Your obligation primarily is to show them the Jesus way. Eugene Peterson, that great wise sage, talked to us about the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, what if Jesus meant them in that way for an order? What if the way leads us to the truth, which leads us to the life? 
in Northern Ireland, we're really good at thinking that we have a handle on the Jesus truth without actually really embracing and adopting the Jesus way. But the Jesus way, the life of love and sacrifice and servant-heartedness will lead us further into the truth, which will be richer and look more like Jesus, which will in turn lead us into the Jesus life. So here's the thing, guys. Our tone is everything in these days. Our posture is everything in these days. Our body language, it's it's, it's, it's like when your mom used to say to you, it's not what you say, it's the way you say it. It's like the redemption of that kind of a thing. It's embracing the Jesus way. And that's why we need the Spirit. We need the Spirit to bend us, to submit our hearts to the ways of Jesus because sin has bent us out of shape. And the Spirit has to bend us in love and in truth back into shape. There are other spirits at work today, people counterfeit spirits. The prince of the world, as this chapter ends off, is coming. Political spirits, religious spirits, both on the right and on the left, by the way. And it's so easy. So many Christians are getting caught up in it. But we aren't of the right and we're not of the left. We are part of the center, who is Jesus. And we want to be centered on him. Pete Gregg says it like this. Our allegiance isn't to any other political system, or any one political system, sorry. Refuse to be right-wing or left-wing. Just follow Jesus and let people, let people decide whether you're left or right. No one party owns the truth. Jesus is the truth. And as you follow him, sometimes it will seem like you're on the left and sometimes like you're on the right. But more than anything, you are a citizen of heaven. We have a higher allegiance. We need to pray in these days. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for those in authority. But we need to stop thinking that they're going to be the Messiah. They're not. They're human beings like us, which is why they need our prayers. But Jesus is where our allegiance goes to first and foremost. He has shown us the way. And we, if we are followers of Jesus, have signed, have signed up to the politics of the kingdom. And our guide is the spirit of truth. And so let us in these days be people guided, led, shepherded, loved by the spirit. I want to finish with this. John Tyson tells a great story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was one of the leaders of the confessing church, who in Hitler's time um, pushed back against the Nazi regime. And unfortunately, most of the church got caught up in the nationalism of the day. Bonhoeffer and his friends didn't, and they decided that they wanted to start a seminary almost underground in the countryside to really determine what it looked like to follow Jesus when most other Christians were selling their soul to other agendas. And he decided to build this seminary. And there's a story that's told that one of a, a young historian came up to see what Bonhoeffer was doing. And Bonhoeffer took him to a particular place where they looked over a field and they could see some of the German army being trained. A nearby squadron was being put through its moves. And Bonhoeffer spoke of this new generation of Germans who were in training whose disciplines were formed for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. And he said it would be necessary to propose a superior discipline if the Nazis were to be defeated. You have to be stronger than these tormentors that you find everywhere today. 
In other words, what Bonhoeffer was saying, we need to train up Jesus followers who are stronger than the way Hitler is training up Germans. And so he gave himself to being immersed in the scriptures. He gave himself to being led by the Spirit because he knew that what they were they had was stronger than what Hitler had. And so what, what I, I felt really challenged by that over the last number of days and weeks, and what my prayer is for our church is Jesus has given us the resources to do it. He's given us himself, and he's given us his spirit. He's given us his peace. The prince of the world, the devil, is coming, but Jesus knows what he's doing. We need to hold our nerve. We need to be people of the spirit. We need to allow him to do what he needs to do in our hearts, to train us to become. This, what we've got, needs to be stronger than what's out there. And the extremes are rising. We see it bubbling, it's simmering all around our world. The protests are getting louder. Some of them justifiable, some of them counterfeits. And we need to be people of the spirit, discerning the times that we live in, in order to make sure that what we have is stronger and what out there it is. We just need to be people that embody that in our lives so that the world can really know the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is. Let's push forward with love, with the fierce love of Jesus in the power of the Spirit for his glory. The Lord bless you this morning.